The more deeply that we look into these things of the conflict, of the war in the spiritual realm, the more acutely aware I am finding myself becoming of just how great the majesty of our God is and how powerful his realm is, that he could defeat one such as Satan. But Satan is the created. God is the creator. And so, therefore, it's not a mystery to us that he is so powerful. But I find myself being absorbed with things that are so important at this stage of where we're at in this study. The need to be assured that God is the victor, that he is the one who can overcome, that I really felt it important to look into the book of Daniel. Because Daniel has such an important word for us to hear in regards to this conflict, the angelic war that takes place around us that we don't see. It is because of this war. Hear me closely on this. Stop looking at your text for a minute. It is because of this conflict that we're studying that God gave us a Redeemer, that he gave us a Deliverer. I say this as emphatically as I can. God gave us Jesus to redeem us because of the attacks of the sin that came from Satan and his attack on Adam and Eve and all of humanity that fell. So that one day we can stand and in recognition of who Jesus is, in all humility, bow from standing to bowing and declaring Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what Scripture says. Every knee will bow. From those who live in California that protested this week to those who live all the way over in Russia to those who have died centuries before and those who are yet to be born, every single knee will bow and proclaim Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. The demons included. Remember that as we go through these texts. C.S. Lewis had a really great quote for us. I wanted to share it with you this morning. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to believe in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both. You probably know people who fall into the realm of disbelief that they don't exist. You probably know people who have an unhealthy interest and have gone too far. Have you ever picked up a rock and found underneath it a whole bunch of little creepy crawly worms and bugs that when exposed to the light of day, they scurry and they try and find a hole? to get back into the darkness. That's the way it is with Satan. You expose him to the light of God's truth, and he runs for the cover of darkness. But that doesn't mean that he's not powerful and that he isn't a force to be reckoned with. Among his many names in Scripture, he's called the great dragon and the prince of the power of the air. Look at Ephesians 2.2 up on the screen. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And then look at Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of hold, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Know this for certain. Because he was judged at one time and thrown from heaven, he is still a powerful force. The final judgment on Satan has not yet come. It will come one day. In the last days, Revelation really spells out what his certain doom is. But now we have a really strong, powerful enemy to deal with. Some really hard questions have come out of this study in the last couple of weeks. People who have approached me, lots of emails coming my direction. People with real legitimate questions like, how do we know evil existed before man? Well, if you stop and think about the creation of the garden, like we studied in Genesis way back in January here, when God established the Garden of Eden, he placed within the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Evil was placed there, that tree, that knowledge, prior to the creation of man. Evil existed before man. When did Satan fall? We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us an answer on that. Here's another question that's come my way. Are the demons as powerful as the holy angels? In other words, are the fallen angels just as strong as the holy angels? Well, in one way they are. We're going to look into that a little bit today. You're going to find out a little bit more detail. Matter of fact, Psalm 103 says this, The angels excel in strength. And 2 Peter 2.11 says, Angels are greater in power and might than men. I don't know if you've read 2 Kings much. It's a really old book. A lot of people don't spend a lot of time in it. But 2 Kings has a story about when there was a mighty kingdom, the kingdom of Assyria, that wanted to destroy Israel. And one particular night before the battle, when the people of God were on their knees asking God to deliver them, this is what happened. It comes out in 2 Kings 19.35. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. One angel, one night. Are angels more powerful than men? Yes. Are demons, fallen angels, as powerful as holy angels? Well, let's think through some of the characteristics of angels. Superior intelligence, according to Ezekiel 28. Superior strength, according to Mark 5. Superior power, doing signs and wonders, according to Thessalonians 2. Superior scope, in other words, ranging from heaven to earth, places in between. They have the ability to travel great distances. Superior natures, spirit beings not bound by the form like we are. And superior experience created before man, not having died, living through the entire history of man and watching the things that we participate in. A lot of characteristics that we don't have. So we're going to look into the book of Daniel today. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open up to that. It'll also be up on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, maybe this is your first time here at New Hope, you are welcome to take one of those Bibles with you that are in the pew racks when you leave today. You can follow along on the screen, though. It'll be just as easy for you. Now, imagine this with me. Imagine one day you woke up and you found yourself 
living in the midst of a nation full of apostasy. What do I mean by that? Well, imagine this. You see the definition? Abandonment of one's religious beliefs, opposition to one's former religion, literally a defection or a revolt. Imagine you woke up on Wednesday morning this last week and you found in the papers that tens of thousands of people had taken to the streets to revolt against an election that took place on Tuesday in which there was a ban put on gay marriage. And people took to the streets to protest that. Now, in the midst of that society of people taking to the streets to protest that because believing that they have the right for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman, you find yourself saying, I don't think I would have seen this 10 years ago. I'm not sure I would have seen this 20 years ago. What's going on in my country? Imagine on that same day you found yourself with spiritually attuned eyes beginning to look around and saying, something's changing here. Something's different from what it used to be. My spiritual antennas are up. That's the state of affairs that you find Daniel in. When I say that his nation, his people that he belonged to, were full of apostasy, a defection or a revolt from what they once knew was right and turning and going in opposite direction for what a people group wants for themselves instead of accepting the things of God, wanting the things of man. Now, keep that word in your mind, apostasy, as you look at this verse upon the screen, 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, brackets, Jesus returned, that's the it it's referring to, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction. Now, the ancient Hebrews had an interesting way of using the word apostasy. It's a compound word for them. First, they would use the word shub, which is a military word. Look at the definition on the screen for the word shub. A primitive root to turn back away literally or figuratively not necessarily with the idea of returning to the starting point, generally to retreat a traitor. In other words, if I started out here with my offensive trying to move forward, a shub would not just return to the starting point, they'd just completely walk away. Now, that's the first part of the compound word. For the Hebrews, they attached mishubah to it to make it a religious connotation. And for them, it was a backsliding. People who had come into a knowledge of the things of God and then turning and walking away, not just with the military implications in mind that they're involved in a battle, but turning away willingly and leaving all of their compatriots on the field of battle. This is the word Daniel was thinking of when he read this verse. Jeremiah 7.24 Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil heart, and went mishubah, 
and not forward. Apostasy. Jeremiah 8.5, Daniel, we're told, also read this verse. Why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy, Mishubah? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. Now, let me create the context of the setting and what's going on here. Daniel, at one time in history, picked up what was known as the bestseller in all of Babylonia, was called the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had written his prophecies years before. And somehow Daniel came across a copy of the book of Jeremiah, even though he was in Babylon, being held as a prisoner. And in the midst of his imprisonment, he reads those verses that you just read. And he begins to be consumed with grief for his country, realizing that the people that he lived with, that he dwelt with, that he went to work with every day, that he sat down at meals with, had become totally apostate, full of apostasy. They had turned their back on God and gone the other direction. And having no concern for the things of God, God turned them over to their enemies and allowed them to be delivered to Babylon, in which they were held in captivity for 70 years. What Revelation is to the book, of, what the book of Revelation is to the New Testament, the book of Daniel is to the Old Testament in the way of prophecy. So it's not just a history of things that happened, it's also a looking forward. And we don't have a whole lot of time this morning, so we're going to go through just, Genesis, or just uh, Daniel chapter 10, and I want to help you to understand what's going on when Daniel encounters someone who is a powerful being who begins to help him understand what's going to happen to his nation. Now understand, if you have the the book of Daniel open, and you're looking at it, and you're saying, man, some of these words in here are so confusing. They don't make any sense to me. Then you're probably looking at prophecy. Some of it is just a history, a retelling of things that have happened. Now, critics... People who especially despise the Bible have taken the book of Daniel and said, there is no way that anybody could have known the things that he knew in advance of them happening. As a matter of fact, what Daniel writes down in chapter 11 and chapter 12 is so incredibly accurate to the things that happened for the next 500 years. Biblical critics were convinced that it was written by someone 500 years later after all the things that happened and then recorded them down as though Daniel actually wrote them until this little detail came out. A few years ago in the 1950s, this particular cylinder, we see a picture of that? It just looks like a big clay jar, I'm sure, if you're looking at it from a distance, but inscribed in it are all the words that Cyrus king of Babylon, wrote about the things that take place that we're about to study. Details about releasing the people of Israel and sending them back to their country. As a matter of fact, you can find an exact replica of this in the United Nations building in New York City, New York. The original is in the British Museum. It's that valued. It's considered the first charter of human rights. And in the midst of all that little scribble on there, there's something in a little section about Cyrus 
releasing the Jews and going back. And so as critics looked at the book of Daniel, they said, wow, this thing historically actually happened. How could one person know all these things, all these details? We're going to look at Daniel chapter 10 now with those things in mind. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 1. Now consider verse 1 as an introduction to the rest of the chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. Now Daniel's telling you this all up front, saying, what you're about to read actually happened. It's real. And I want you to know that I understood it after the angel explained it to me. But before that time, he was consumed with grief, trying to figure out what's really going on. And God did this. He did what may have happened to you this last week when you watch things unfold in the news. God laid a heavy, heavy burden on Daniel's heart to begin praying for his people, to pray for his entire nation, Even though Daniel lived a really good life, we're told in chapter 9 that he took upon himself the sins of the people in repentance, saying, God, we as a people have sinned against you. And he repented for his entire nation. And he fasted and he prayed for three weeks because he wanted to know what was going to happen to his nation. So look at verse 2 with me. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. In other words, the guy didn't take a shower, okay? No deodorant, no perfume, no good foods, Many scholars believe that he probably just ate vegetables or oatmeal. It says no tasty foods. It doesn't mean he went without food. But he was that consumed with grief for the condition of his nation. Have you ever been in a place where you're that consumed for the things going on around you? So much so that you can get beyond maybe a five-minute prayer and stretch it out to a 15-minute prayer? Have you ever taken that 15-minute prayer and trying to stretch it out to an hour? Maybe some of you have had loved ones who have been stricken physically and you found yourself praying all day long. Compound that by day one, day two, day three, day four. 21 days consumed because he was so grieved over what was happening to his country. And he wanted to understand. And there was two things specifically that Daniel wanted to understand. If you go back sometime maybe later today and look at chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, you'll see that there were some revelations given to Daniel that he was absolutely confused about and didn't understand. And by the time chapter 10 comes around, he's going to begin to get an explanation to it. And the other thing he wanted to know is, what's going to happen to my people, to the nation that I belong to? And what he never expected happened next, because this doesn't happen every day. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the great 
bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz, and his body was like also like and his body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. It's early early spring. Nisan 24. For the Jews, first day of the calendar year, probably sometime around March and April, 10 days after Passover. He wasn't able to celebrate Passover because he was a captive off in Babylon. He'd been hauled away. And he's in the midst of this compound And for whatever reason, he leaves his business and goes out to the river Tigris. The Tigris River still exists today, 20 miles outside of Baghdad. Still flows. That's the river that he stood on. And he's saying, I saw the most amazing sight. As a matter of fact, if you look at the description of the angels that appeared when Jesus was resurrected and the women saw him from Luke 24.4, look at this description. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. The angel that Daniel saw was dressed in linen, and it was dazzling white. The belt around his waist, according to Scripture, it was made of the purest gold, and it had chain links, perhaps linked with plates. His body glowed with a luminous color. His eyes, they flashed like lightning. Have you ever read the description of Jesus in Revelation? His eyes brilliant like lightning. These are some of the seven observations I saw about this. If you're keeping track, let me go over them again. One, the angel was dressed in linen. Two, the belt around his waist was made of pure gold. His body glowed with a luminous color. I tried to envision chrysolite, a luminous color. And I started thinking about, you know, sometimes you see people driving up and down the streets and they've got those little crystal chains hanging from their mirrors. And it's like a, a, a refraction of light. I think that what we're talking about here, from what I understand that I've studied, is this is kind of translucent, but yet it glowed with a yellowish glow. And that's what his body was made up like. And then his eyes flashed like lightning. Five, his face flashed like lightning in splendor, and it was brilliant. And six, his arms and legs were exposed, apparently. And they gleamed like burnished bronze. I have no idea what that looks like. And number seven, I thought was the coolest one. His voice was like the sound of thunder. If you read the definition of an angel in Revelation chapter 10, you see this, Revelation 10.3. He gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And Revelation 10.1 says this, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven. And his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. I know I've heard thunder. I know you've heard thunder. I've never heard the roar of thunder mixed with the roar of a lion's voice. Now you can begin to understand why Daniel remained silent in the presence of this being. We're not told what the angel said when he spoke at this point. We just know that Daniel was overwhelmed with this vision. Verse 7. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, 
a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. Just like when you read the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 of Elisha. I don't know if you've read the story before. Let me tell you briefly what happened. Elisha surrounded a group of men, surrounded by a group of men in a city who were about to attack the city. And he prayed that they would all be blinded. And his servant standing next to him said, What are you doing? What's going on here? And he said, The host of heaven are here to protect us. And this guy standing next to him said, Elisha, are you crazy? There's nothing out there. And then he prayed this prayer, which I think you've probably heard before. Father, open the eyes of his heart. Let him see that those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And scripture says that then his eyes were opened and he looked and covering the mountainside were angels in chariots of fire. Or like when Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. The men who were with him, all they heard was the sound of the voice of thunder. Or like when Jesus was baptized, the crowd around him said, What was that? And scripture says it was the voice of God saying, Behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. But for people who were not spiritually tuned in, They're just overcome with fear. What's going on here? I hear thunder. There's something going on. And they ran and hid. I think spiritually attuned people will see the things of God. People who have no interest in the things of God and they wonder why they don't see him at work, they're not tuned in. Verse 8, So I was left alone and saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor. And I retained no strength, but I heard the sound of his words. And as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. He fainted. Can you blame him? All he could do is stand there and stare. And then he fainted. He did a nose plant into the mud of the bank of the river. Now, the angel didn't leave him there. He literally was called this by the angel in verse 11. He said to me, O Daniel, man of preciousness. Your scripture might say man of esteem. That's what it says on the board. Verse 11. There you go. O Daniel, man of preciousness. Man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up. The angel angel said this to Daniel. Listen, Daniel. Listen very close. What you're about to hear is going to overwhelm you. Pause. Take a breath, Daniel. Stand up. Understand what I'm about to say. Then, verse 12, then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were what? Heard. And I have come in response to your words. Daniel's told that what he started praying for, day one of the fast, was immediately heard. But how did God hear his words? 
If you underline anything in your scriptures this morning, I would underline you set your heart on understanding and humbling yourself before your God. That's the key to prayer. You want the key to getting God to hear you? Set your heart on understanding the things of God and humbling yourself before God. That's what he tells him to do. And Daniel's told what's about to happen. And God's response is immediate. And now we get a fascinating insight into the war that takes place between the angels. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's a demon. The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. How long had Daniel waited? 21 days. How long had Daniel waited? 21 days. But from the first day you set your heart on understanding, I was sent to talk to you. But a demon withstood me. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to you to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people. What did Daniel ask for? I want to know what's going to happen to my people. And he shows up to say, I'm going to give you an understanding. What will happen to your people in the latter days? For the vision pertains to the days yet future. Does this indicate that there are demonic forces that are placed over political and geographical realms? Scripture also says next, with the verse we're getting into, that the prince, the demon of Greece, is about to join the demon of Persia to war against Michael and Gabriel. You're about to see that coming up. According to Ephesians chapter 6, we looked at that on the very first Sunday, there is a great host of demons who battle against the angels who are well-organized. They are well-structured. Verse 15, When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? kind of complicated way of saying, how can I actually talk to you? And as for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. I wish that I had found a physician this week to talk to somebody who knows something about the pulmonary system in the human body to understand what happens when your blood drains from your face. What does the heart go through? When you become so faint, you can't even hold yourself up. Because physically, Daniel is saying, I am helpless. I have no breath. This is the first time Daniel's ever spoken. The first time since this whole encounter started. And what are his words? I'm helpless. And I can't breathe. I can't even draw breath. Why? Daniel came to a realization, a realization that he had been involved in spiritual warfare. He realized at that moment that what was taking place and the vision before him, 
And the prayers that he had offered over 21 days had had an impact in heaven. And just because he hadn't seen it during those 21 days doesn't mean it wasn't happening. And there was a war taking place. Don't ask me what it looked like. I don't know. I don't know what kind of weapons angels carry. Can't tell you. Scripture doesn't tell us. And then something remarkable happens in verse 18. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, second time, O man of preciousness, high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. When I read that, I was thinking of that verse that says, My weakness is made perfect in his strength. When Daniel came to the utterness of despair and realized he had nothing to bring to the table, he couldn't offer anything in the presence of this Holy One. And until that one strengthened him, he couldn't do a thing. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And then he says, speak, since you've given me strength, I'm ready to listen. In verse 20, he asked Daniel a question. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. That's the book of life. That's the book that has the names of those who follow God. That's what Revelation calls the book of life, the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. It's very important to realize that Gabriel, and that's who we believe this particular angel is, that Gabriel is the guardian over Israel. Scripture refers to him that way many times throughout Scripture. He's called the one who looks out over the flock of Israel, over the nation of Israel. Apparently, God has assigned certain powerful angels to certain regions and certain people groups. And Gabriel is in this battle... And Michael, the archangel, has to show up, not necessarily just to defeat those demons, but at least to the point where Gabriel can leave the battle, show up in front of Daniel on the Tigris River, and say, hey, I got a few minutes. I left the battle. Here's, about what's, here's what's about to happen. And by the way, I got to go back to the battle. Now, chapter 11 and chapter 12, if you get a chance to read it this week, you'll find an explanation of what he told Daniel in this story. They're prophecies of the future, and they're highly detailed. Here's what I think is going on. And most of the theologians that I've consulted have agreed. And all the writings I can find primarily agree with this observation. This is a point in history, in world history, 534 B.C., when the nation of Israel was being held captain 500 miles away from Jerusalem in Babylon. And the last thing that Satan wants to have happen is for those people to be released and go back and establish themselves as the people of God in that nation called Israel. Why? Because all the way through Scripture, it had been foretold that the Mashiach, the promised one, Jesus 
would be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah. And if those Jews got back to Israel, that would begin the unfolding of the arrival of the Messiah. And so intense was this battle that Satan had and the orchestration of it. And he thought he was winning because God's people were held all the way over in Babylon. God was just working his plan. And to the people like Daniel looking at it saying, I don't understand what's going on here. This is so confusing. And God sent this angel to say, don't worry, Daniel. I've got it all under control. I know what's going to happen. And eventually, within a couple years, the Israelites did move back to Israel. So soundly defeated was Satan in this particular battle that it was only about 300 years later, under Antiochus Epiphanes, a Roman ruler, he tried the exact same thing to exterminate the Jewish people in 130 B.C. So that, again, once that move-counter-move that we've been talking about, holy angels, evils, working against each other, trying to defeat the plan of God. You see it again when Jesus was born. What did Herod try to do? Kill all the young men two and under. Do you think that was an attack of Satan? Do you think that Herod had his plan and that yet behind him Satan had his plan? Move, counter move. And yet for people like us living in the midst of these societies, looking around saying, what's going on? I see rampant apostasy around me. I don't understand why people are abandoning what they know to be right and running the other direction. God's saying, don't worry. I wrote the last chapter in the book. I got it all under control. Let me take you all the way back as I let you go now to where we started this morning. We looked first at 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Up on the screen, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, Jesus' return, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Okay? With that in mind, read this next verse. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and what? The doctrines of demons. Are we looking at a war of spiritual forces going on around us? It's not just our brothers and sisters and our family members who were raised in the same house that we were that have completely walked away from things that they know to be right. And we're looking at them and saying, I was raised with you. I know we were raised in the same household. You're going this direction. What's going on? And you're looking at the outspreading of apostasy. We have a responsibility as the people of God to be in constant prayer, not only for those family members of ours who have walked away, not only for our friends who have turned their back on what they know to be right, but Scripture says we have a responsibility to lift up the rulers and leaders of our nation. The new presidential cabinet that will be coming in in January, as well as the one that exists today. And I don't think personally that it's just limited geographically. We have a responsibility to uphold all those who are in power. 
Because Satan wants to work his plan. And you are involved in a spiritual battle of proportions which I don't think we fully comprehend. We're doing our best. We keep moving forward. Next week we're going to look at what does it mean to really engage in spiritual warfare. Okay? Would you join me in prayer? Father, we're looking into deep things, things that are uh, granted a mystery to the world and even a mystery within the church because unless we have eyes that are really tuned in and we are walking in the Spirit, it's confusing to us. So, Father, I, I don't want this to be cliche, so please honor this request. Please, for those of us in this room that have just heard this teaching, really give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to understand what's going on around us. We desire to walk more closely with you, and that requires understanding. So, Father, first of all, I ask you to make us graceful people, people of great grace when we look around and see those who are far from you. Help us to be extraordinarily compassionate, but also give us understanding and knowledge so that we can be more properly equipped to encounter the forces that are around us. Father, we ask this in all humility and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right. It's been good to be with you today.